Good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning, taking some time in worship. I'm excited to be here and have an opportunity to share God's word with you. I was hoping it was going to be in person. Uh, actually, last time I preached, I was hoping it was going to be in person too, but I'm trying not to take it personally. But one of the things that this really makes me appreciate is our pastors and our staff and those uh, in the church who are working in the season to try to adapt to changing circumstances. And I know pastors and preachers and teachers in this past year have had to adapt in a lot of ways. And so we want to make sure we give them some love. And so even though we're not here in person, wherever you are, I just want you to take just a moment to uh, give a hoot and holler. Uh, show your excitement for what it is that our pastors and our staff are doing to make church be available still around the world. So take a moment. You guys hear that? Hooting and hollering the world over. Uh, so make sure when you see your pastors and your preachers and your teachers, you give them some love because they really need it as they navigate this season. Now speaking of love, two weeks ago, uh, Michelle and I celebrated our 23rd anniversary. So January 10th, 1998, uh, Michelle and I... Uh, said I do, we gave our vows, we shared the decision to be husband and wife, to spend lives together. And then after it was all over, I signed a piece of paper. The first time I signed that paper as a husband. So on January 10th, 1993, 1998, I became a husband. But on that day, I didn't know exactly what that meant. I've spent the 23 years since then learning what it means to be a husband. So even though I got the title on that day in 1998, it's taken 23 years to continue learning, to continue growing in what it means to be a husband. I still make mistakes. I don't care what you see on Instagram or Facebook or on my post on Caring Bridge. I'm not a perfect husband, okay? I think we can all attest to that. My wife is shouting amen from wherever she is right now. Um, we're still learning, right? We still learn and grow. And so even though I became a husband January 10th, 1998, I'm still learning what that meant, what that means. August 6, 2001, that's when my older son Nate was born. On that day at 6.52 in the morning, because he's always been an early bird, uh, I became a father. Out came Nate crying, kind of, you know, a little weird looking. I don't know. Everybody says babies are cute. I'm kind of like, eh, when they first come out, they're kind of a little hard to see. Uh, so Nate came out. The doctor says he's got an extreme cone head, which made my father heart really scared because I didn't know what that meant. Fortunately, it all resolved. But on August 6, 2001, I became a father, and I still spent years and years and still spend time trying to figure out how to live out what that means, how to be a good father. Now, I have to just throw this in there. My other son, Matthew, was born on June 10th, 2004. I became a second father, I guess, then. Um, and you can see how cute they are uh, at when they got all cleaned up and everything, of course. So June 10th, 2004, uh, I became a father again, still learning what it means to parent two children. You see, there are these milestones that we have in our lives where we, we take on this title, we take on this mantle. Maybe it's a graduate when you get through high school. Uh, maybe it's your career when you get your degree. I became an engineer in June of 1997 when I graduated from UCLA. We take on these mantles and then we spend our lives learning what that means. Now, one more I want to share with you. January 3rd, 1993. It was a Sunday night. I was sitting in the back row of the church I'd been attending for a few months, and I decided in that moment to give my life to Christ. Now, I didn't really want all the like 
people seeing what was going on. And so I waited until the service was over. I waited until everybody left. And then I walked up to the pastor and said, hey, I want to give my life to Christ. And you know what he did? He's like, hey, everybody, come back. Dan wants to give his life to Jesus. And so in front of everybody, uh, I was able to, to share my newfound faith. And on that day, January 3rd, 1993, I became a Christian. But here's the deal. When I made that choice to follow Christ, I did not instantly fall into perfection. I did not instantly become everything that it means to be a Christian. And so I've spent the years since then, almost 28, 28 years now, learning what it means to be a Christian, sometimes doing well, sometimes not. And so we take on this title of Christianity, we take on this title of follower of Christ, and we are called to learn over time what that means. And what would be nice is if there's a roadmap. If there were things, if there were markers along the way that would help us live out, learn to be the Christian that we proclaim to be. When I became a husband, I started looking ahead. I started looking at people, Evan and Linda, Rex and Connie, Mark and Terry, people in my life who were husbands and wives and married couples who had gone before me. And I can see the markers. I can see the important moments in their lives. And so as I learn to become a husband, a better husband, I can look at these markers along the way and say, that's what I want to aim for. So it would be nice if we had that in Christianity too. It would be nice if we had these markers that we can look at and we can say, what is the path towards maturity as a Christian? And I do believe that the word of God gives us those markers. We're going to be digging into Ephesians here in just a moment as we look at what it means to mature in our Christian faith and what are those markers we should be looking at. But before we go there, would you pray with me as we enter into this time in God's word? Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, you haven't left us all alone to figure out things in this world. And even in this season where things seem oh so much crazier than they had been in the years past, Lord, you are still here with us in it. You are still providing opportunities for us to move towards you. And so I pray, Lord, that as we dive into your word this morning, that that would be revealed to us, that, Lord, we would be able to see this path that you've laid out for us so that we can mature in our faith, so that we can become more like you. And so I pray, uh, Lord, for this time this morning, that it would be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in this series called DNA, talking about what is the local church? What is the makeup and the nature of the church? And so JP started a few weeks ago with this idea of ecclesia being a gathering, being an assembly of people. And so even though I'm in our church building right now, none of you are. But yeah, we are still the church because we are still assembling. And isn't it amazing that with technology today, the church can assemble not just physically in one location, but throughout the world. And so this ecclesia of the church is still happening here and throughout the world today. Last week, Dan challenged you to go and live out the Great Commission. He actually put the burden on you as the church to go and share the good news with Jesus. And so the DNA, the nature of what the church is, is this group of people that come together for a common purpose, and that is to know who Jesus Christ is and to make him known. And so as we get into this next stage of understanding the nature and the core of what the church is, we're going to talk about what does it mean to put your faith in Jesus and then live that out and grow in maturity because the church needs you to be mature followers of Christ. The world 
needs you to be maturing followers of Christ. So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. I don't know, about halfway through the New Testament. Um, and this book was written by the Apostle Paul. It's believed that it was written not just to the church in Ephesus, though that is on there, but to as a circular letter that was meant for a group of churches, a collection of churches in the area. And so Paul writes to encourage them. Now what's interesting is if you were to read through the book of Ephesians, there's six chapters, and it's actually split in two parts. So the first part, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, uh, Paul talks about what's called the preeminence of Christ, the superiority of Christ. In kind of modern vernacular, we would say Paul is shouting in Ephesians 1 through 3 about how awesome Jesus is, how amazing he is, how cool, how rad, depending on what generation you're from. You might even, if you're younger, you might even say Jesus is dope, Jesus is sick, right? Paul is talking about in these first three chapters how amazing Jesus is. And I just want to share a few of those things with you. Starting at Ephesians 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 7. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable power for us who believe. Isn't that amazing who Jesus is? Chapter 2, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Chapter 3, in him we, in him and through faith in him, we, have, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Two more, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And he ends chapter 3, this first half of Ephesians, saying this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Are you kidding me? This is the Jesus that we get to follow. When we put our faith in Jesus, we get immeasurably more than we can possibly imagine. We get a glorious inheritance. We get riches of God's grace. This is the Jesus. Jesus, that we who confess to be followers of Christ get to follow. Paul is telling us this is amazing that this God would make it such that we can be in his presence. Now here's what's interesting because I know that some of you out there don't believe this stuff, right? Don't believe what the Bible says and that's okay. It's okay for us to question that. But here's the interesting thing. Take the Bible out of it. Jesus of Nazareth is a historical figure. Jesus of Nazareth changed the course of history. Our whole calendar is centered around the birth of Jesus. An entire empire was changed because one man put his faith in Jesus. The world is different because of Jesus of Nazareth. And regardless of what you believe about the Bible and what the Bible says about Jesus being God in the flesh, you cannot deny the fact that Jesus was a man who walked on this earth and changed the course of history. And that alone makes him worth 
researching and learning about. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're questioning who this Jesus is, to recognize the fact that this man, 2,000 years later, is still impacting lives. And that makes him somebody that we should learn more about. But what Paul is telling us is that Jesus wasn't just a man who lived historically, though we know that that is true, but, Je- but Paul is telling us that Jesus was God in the flesh, and because of that, we have this amazing, rich, powerful, glorious inheritance available to us because of what Jesus did for us. And that's Ephesians 1 through 3. That's not even the passage that I'm preaching on today. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, so hopefully by now you've turned to that because Paul is telling us that given all this that we know about who Jesus is, there is something that needs to happen. And so Ephesians 4 through 6, those chapters, are about how do we live that out? Now that we know and understand who Jesus is, how do we live out that faith in him? And so hopefully by now you found your passage, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. So remember, because of how amazing Jesus is, Paul is now leading to this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. Church, everyone who hears me, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received through Jesus Christ. Now we're going to get to what that means in a minute, but what I want to do is I'm going to jump down to verse 14. Because sometimes I find it helpful to see what's the goal? What am I aiming for? What am I going? Because then the road map, the markers for getting there become a little easier, right? If I want to go drive to Denver, there are an infinite number of ways that I could get there. And any one of them could be good, but if I I want to know that I'm heading to Denver... And then I can take different roads and figure out the road map, the markers along the way I need to get there. And so Paul tells us that we need to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received through Jesus Christ. But then in verse 14, listen to this picture that he describes of what it looks like once we have reached that point of maturity in our faith. Ephesians 4 verse 14. Then, after we've gone through what we'll talk about in a minute, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There's this picture that Paul paints for us of what does it look like as we mature in our faith. Imagine how great it would be to not be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind. How many of you are frustrated with the things that we hear in the news and the social media and you're like, what's going on? What's going on? What do I believe? What do I trust in? Trust in Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus, these things become mere nuisances, mere obstacles. We focus on Jesus and Paul says as we mature in our faith, as we move from infancy into adolescence, into adulthood in our faith, these things in the world no longer have this bearing on us, no longer have this impact on us. Why? Because Jesus is the source and sustainer of how we live our lives. And so even though this world may be crazy, Even though things may be dark, 
Jesus becomes the rock that we hold on to. Even though this last year has been crazy in our society, this isn't the first dose of crazy our world has seen. Our world has gone up and down in cycles of crazy since the beginning of time. Since God kicked off this world with let there be light, and then Adam and Eve made the choice to turn away from God, this world has been filled with crazy. And yet God brought Jesus, showed us the way to live, so that we won't be tossed and turned, we won't be moved and pushed by the crazy. And so if you want to look at how can I endure this time and this season that I'm in, whatever it is that you're going through, we look at Jesus and as we mature in our faith, we, can no, we will no longer be tossed back and forth and blown by every wind. How nice that would be to be in a place where we are so well-rooted that we aren't blown away every time the tides turn in our culture, in our society, in our lives. And so that's the picture. That's where we're headed. As we mature in our faith, we can be moving towards this place where we can be more solid, more rooted, just like I was able to see those marriages that were ahead of me uh, and see what that means to be a good husband and a good father we can look and we can see this is the goal. We can look at Christians that have gone before us. We can look at what Paul tells us and we can say that is what I want my life to be about. All right, so we have this idea that Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is amazing. And because of that, we need to be willing to live a life worthy of the calling that we have in him. And when we do that, we move towards this place of maturity where we can say, all right, Jesus, I am rooted, I'm established in you. And so these things in the world that would seek to turn me away from you are not going to do that. I will not be tossed to and fro by the winds of change in the world. So now we're going to go back to the beginning of chapter 4. Because what I want to do is I want to talk through with the rest of our time here, what are those markers of maturity? So if you are a follower of Jesus, then what are the things that you should be working on that you can be working towards so you can get to this place of solid, rooted in Christ Jesus. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. I think in these verses that Paul is giving us this idea, these markers, these key points that tell us what does it look like to mature in the, our faith. And so we're going to go through them slowly, uh, one by one. Uh, first off in verse 2, uh, Paul says, be completely humble. So what does it look like to be humble? And here's a problem. We have a lot of false humility in this world. The definition of humble would be a modest view of your own importance. A modest view of your importance, not a modest view of your ability. You see, I think that we often think that being humble means to say I'm not good at anything whenever I do anything, even if it's good. I was listening to a devotional, uh, video devotional a few weeks ago, and this lady was sharing, uh, I don't remember the passage, but she was sharing on a passage from the Bible, and in the middle of it, she's like, you know what, I think God just wants me to sing this song that I have in my heart for you, to you. And she says, I'm not a very good singer, but you know what, I just think God wants me to do this. And then she starts singing like American Idol quality. Okay, that is not humility. When God has gifted us, 
When God gives us abilities and talents and strengths and we use those, that is for God's glory. Now what humility is, is not thinking I'm more important than other people because of that. What humility is, is allowing somebody else to go before me or be praised in front of me, not to take all the credit. Humility is not, I'm no good. Humility is, there are others that I want to lift up. And ultimately, to be humble before God is to recognize that everything I have and everything I am is because of who Jesus made me to be. So as we look at these markers to maturity, maybe humility is something that you need to work on. Maybe it's in your work environment where you have a colleague that you can promote a little bit more. You can encourage, you can build up. Even if you're doing some of the work to say, no, I want this guy to be able to receive the praise because he needs it. Maybe humility is recognizing that I am not all of that. I am not the best in the cream of the crop. I have work that I need to do. And so maybe as you're living out your Christian faith, you have this marker of humility. You need to be more humble. Next, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Now, gentleness is, it means power under control. Uh, if you have an older translation, it might say meekness, which we don't use the word meek very, very much these days. But some of the older translations would translate that word as meekness. And meekness is not weakness, right? So gentleness is when you are able, when you are capable, when you have power, but you keep that under control. And so maybe that's in a place where you might be in an authority, over people and you demand and you dictate and you drive gentleness would be to have that power have that authority but keep it under control and so people can see your restraint and they can see how Christ is working out in you to rein in the power that you might try to exert over other people so maybe as you're walking out your life of faith you need to think about what does it mean to walk out my life of faith in gentleness continuing on Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Oh, that's a hard one, right? Now, here's what's interesting in the Greek, uh, the language of the New Testament. There's actually several words that are translated patient, and they mean different things depending on the context. Uh, This particular word, uh, patient, can mean long-tempered as opposed to slow, short-tempered, right? We, we've kind of lost the word long-tempered in our language, but there used to be uh, both, both part of the English language. A short-tempered person, you would know, is somebody who's quick. They blow their fuses quickly. You do something, and they get angry. They start yelling. They get frustrated, right? A long-tempered person would be obviously the opposite of that, somebody who takes a long time before they get to the point where they're angry or they're frustrated. Um, and specifically, this word in Greek is about dealing with people. So when you're patient, as it's talking about here, it's patient when you're dealing with people. So how many of you parents who are at home with your kids these days because schools aren't in session need a little work on your patience? You need to work on increasing the length of the fuse before it blows as your kids and the noise and the running around drives you crazy sometimes. How many of you need that marker of maturity to say, no, no, I'm following Christ, and so therefore being slow to become angry or frustrated, being patient is an element of what I need to work on so I can be matured in my faith. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, bearing this idea of enduring, of keeping going, of continuing on. 
when people are frustrating with you. Maybe it's the colleague at work who just keeps nagging you and nagging you. Maybe it's a situation with your spouse where you're, where you're just not seeing eye to eye. What does it look like to bear with them in love? What does it look like to allow your ability to endure through difficult times to grow? As we look at these markers of what it means to mature in Christ, maybe you need to bear with one another. Maybe you need to bear somebody else's burdens. Maybe you need to bear and endure and thrive, not just survive, in relationships with other people. All of these markers are ways that Christ works out in us and the world can see that, right? As we become more humble, as we become more gentle, as we become more patient, as we bear one an- with one another in love, Christ works out something in us and that thing that he works in us is seen by the people around us and Jesus is glorified in that. So as you grow in your faith, as you learn to mature so that you aren't going to be tossed around with every wind that blows, we become rooted in Christ and that grows out through us as we interact with other people. The last one on on the list here that we have with Paul, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This idea of keeping unity, uh, if you know anything about music, it's about harmony, not about unison, right? Being united with one another does not mean that we are uniform, does not mean that we are the same in nature, but the same in goal, the same in target, that we have harmony and that we can work together as a group of believers, as a family, as a church, as a business, whatever that is, what does it look like to allow you to grow in your faith such that you are united with one another in Christ? Making a beautiful harmony together instead of just a loud unison that clashes with the world around you. So Paul's telling us here that we have these markers to maturity. There are other ones too. If you look at Galatians 5, there's the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., right? What does it look like for you to be filled with joy? That's another marker of maturity that we read about in Galatians 5. Are you the type of person who is up and down, happy, sad with circumstances? Or are you filled with Christ to the point where your joy in Christ is the root of who you are. That's another marker of maturity. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, gives us some more of these, right? He talks about uh, do, not just commit ad- do not commit adultery, right? But Jesus says, I don't want you to just as- abstain from adultery. No, because the root of that is lust in our hearts. And so as we're working towards maturing in our faith, how are you doing with the lust in your heart? How are you doing with what your eyes see or what you click on on the computer? What is Jesus doing in you to resolve and reconcile and work through that lust in your heart so that you can grow in your faith? Jesus also talks about murder. And he says, do not murder, which, you know, I think granted we would all say that's a good thing, right? Not murdering, good idea. But Jesus goes further than that. He says, don't even be angry. Don't even be so frustrated with someone that you 
want to kill them. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had that, like, moment where you're like, oh, I just, you not literally strangle somebody, but you're like, I'm going to strangle you, right? Jesus is telling us on this road to Christian maturity, he doesn't just want us to not murder someone. He wants us to deal with the anger we have in our heart. And so I want to ask you, how are you doing with anger that builds up in your heart? Are you letting Christ work through that so that you can grow towards maturity? Throughout scripture, we read about these ideas of what does it look like to be rooted in Christ and to mature. And so I want to challenge you with something. Just like as we started this passage, we were looking forward. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.14, this is what it's going to look like when you're mature. I want you to think for a moment. Think for a moment through these things that I just shared with you. Through these markers of maturity. And I wonder which of those are ones that you need to work towards. Which of, which of those are things that you're like, oh, yeah, man, I can't believe you mentioned humility. I suck at that, right? We need to think about those things and say, what am I going to do about it? So here's the deal. I want you to think for yourself. Just take a moment in personal reflection, and I want you to think, look a year out from now. Or if that seems too far, look six months out from now. Pick a time in the future. And I want you to think, who do you want to be a year from now? What do you want to look like? Who do you want to be? And now I'm not talking about like, you know, Chris Evans or Brad Pitt or Cary Grant, depending on what generation you're a part of. I don't want to be like, what person do I aspire to be? Who do I want to be in Jesus? What does that look like a year from now? Get that picture in your head. And then I want you to think about what are you going to do about it? Because here's the thing. If a year from now I want to be, you know, buff like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I don't do anything about it, I'm never going to get there. I mean, really, I'm probably never going to get there anyway. But that, setting that aside, if I set a goal and a picture of where I want to be, but I never do anything about it, that picture, that goal is worthless. And so I want you to think about what do you want to look like in your walk with Christ a year from now, and what are you going to do about it? Now, I want to be careful here, because what I'm not telling you to do is to create a checklist of things. It's easy to come out of these and say, I'm going to read my Bible every morning, I'm going to pray every afternoon, I'm going to devotional with my family every evening. And you set these goals, and those are all good goals. Those are all good things to do. But sometimes we get into this checkbox mentality of walking out our faith. And I think like, so every morning when I wake up, I get a cup of coffee. Sometimes I get two cups of coffee. But I get coffee literally every morning. But I don't wake up in the morning and make my coffee and go, checkbox, got my coffee. No, no, no. I love coffee. I enjoy coffee, maybe a little bit too much. And so I go after the Keurig first thing in the morning, not because I need to check it off my box, but because I love the results of it, right? And so what I'm telling you to do as we're looking at these markers towards maturity, I want you to think about not just the process, not just the thing as a checkbox, but what goal do you want? If you want to be more humble, what does that look like specifically? How do you live that out? Maybe you can think about who should I be more humble with? If you want to be more patient, what environment, what context should I be working on this patient? And then you can use scripture, you can use prayer, you can use these different things, the spiritual disciplines to work towards that. But the idea is that we're looking at these markers. And those markers of maturity are the things that are growing in our faith, that are becoming stronger in us so that we can move to this goal that we're headed towards. 
So don't make it a checkbox. Make it an issue of your heart. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And I have one other thing I want to share as we think about what do we want to look like in the future and how are we going to get there because there's this pandemic going on. But it's not the pandemic you're thinking of. Yes, COVID is going on. But there's a pandemic going on in our church. It's been going on for years. And it's this idea that in order for me to grow in my faith, I need the pastor to preach good sermons. In order for me to grow in my faith, I need to go to a small group that has a teacher that teaches good things. We put this burden on the church and the church staff and the church leaders for our growth. And I'm here to tell you the responsibility for your growth in Christ is yours. There is no one else on this planet who is responsible for feeding you but you yourself. Now, should JP and Dan give good sermons? Yes. Should teachers teach truth from scriptures? Yes. But when we expect that they are the ones who are going to feed us, then we dishonor the work that Christ is doing in us. The only person that's responsible for your spiritual growth is you. And so as we think about these markers towards maturity, we want to make sure that we're looking in our hearts and we're saying, which one of these things do I need to work towards? A year from now, six months from now, maybe for some of you it's a week or two out. That's all you can think of. How do I want to look different? How do I want to look more like Jesus? And then what am I going to do to get there? How am I going to look at gentleness and recognize I don't have my power under control? Or I don't have my temper under control. What does it look like to bring Christ into that place? To allow yourself to grow spiritually as you work towards becoming complete in Christ. So that you will not be tossed back and forth with the waves and blown here and there by every teaching. I just want to encourage you, church, as you meditate on this, as you think on this, that you would allow Jesus to kind of infiltrate that space in you. So that you can have this picture that he creates in you of who you can be in him. And that he would empower you and enable you to work towards that. As you work on these markers, as you work on these guideposts and milestones, that you would allow Christ to do that work in you. Because let me tell you, our world needs Christians who are mature and alive in Christ. Our world needs followers of Jesus to be alive and be a light. And so I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you wherever you are, whether you are a new believer, whether you're further along in the path, there is always something to work on. There is always something that you can do to mature your faith. And so I just want to challenge you. I'm going to pray here in just a minute. We're going to take a time to take communion. And I just want to challenge you in that time to just ask Christ to reveal to you what it is in you, what it is in your heart that you need him to work on. What marker, what milestone do you need him to work out in you so that you can mature in your faith? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that you meet us wherever we are, but that you don't leave us there. You are willing to take us just as we are, Lord, fallen, messed up, confused, full of ourselves, worried. And Lord, you take us from that place into a place where we are sanctified, where we are changed, where we are set apart. And I pray this morning that as we kind of ponder these things, uh, it can be easy to get overwhelmed with the list. Oh my gosh, there's so many things I do wrong. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that just in this moment uh, that we would just focus on the one thing. 
that one thing that you need to change in our heart, that one thing that you want to do in us to move us further along in this marker towards maturity. Lord, continue to work out that in us. And I just pray, Lord, that we would do it for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.